0: I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us again this week at Conversations. Today, we have two good friends of the show coming back to us. We have Catholic author Melissa Overmeyer, who is going to tell us about her latest stirring book called From Worry to Wonder A Catholic Guide to Finding Peace Through Scripture. This is a wonderful book all the time, but especially these days when so many worries oppress us, so many ugly things happening around us. Many of us just worry all the time, even when things, even when terrible things aren't happening. This book can help all of us. But first, despite The attacks, of which there are many, our pro-life work does not stop in the post-Roe world. In fact, it is changing and expanding. And one group that is doing tremendous work is the USCCB's Walking with Moms in Need program. It supports mothers and families, soon-to-be moms, and also their babies, uh, in order for them to choose life and form good families as well as thrive. My co-host Maureen Ferguson joins me as we welcome... Kat Talalas. She's the Assistant Director of the Pro-Life Communications and the Secretariat of Pro-Life Activities for the USCCB. Also, Chelsea Gomez, who serves as Program Consultant to uh, bring Walking to Moms in Need to dioceses across the country. Welcome to the show, Kat and Chelsea. Thank you so much, Gracie, for having us on.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Great to be here.
0: Well, it's our honor and our pleasure, and we wanted to check in with you again. You were on CAT uh, several months ago. Maybe it was a year ago that uh, this program was just getting off the ground after a lot of planning and a lot of, I'm sure, intense uh, energy behind it. It's the program of Walking with Moms in Need from the USCCV, something that right now I can't imagine anything more important from so many different perspectives now that we're living in this post-Roe world from the, of course, from the actual perspective of the material needs and the and the spiritual and um, psychological needs of, of 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 mothers and their families, um, and also from even the po- the political perspective and and the the big picture perspective of of a, of a country trying to come to terms with a whole new way of um, of dealing with this very difficult question of abortion. So thank you again for joining us and. Um, Kat, what is the core mission? Why don't you give us a refresher on the core mission of the program and, and what you're hoping it will accomplish?
1: Sure. Well, walking with moms in need is a process by which Catholic parishes walk in the shoes, of pregnant and parenting moms in need who are vulnerable in their communities. And after this process of evaluating what it would actually be like to be a mother in need in my local community, if I were pregnant and I were struggling, or if I were parenting young children and having difficulties, where would I turn? After answering those questions, parishes then undergo an analysis and decide how can we stand in that gap? And truly walk with these women as our sisters.
3: So, so this is an effort to get the people in the pews to step it up and see how <laughs> all of us can can assist women in need. And and as Gracie said, it's it's hard to imagine a more important part of the pro life movement right now in our post Roe era. It, you know, I'm I'm here in Washington D.C. where there's so much focus on protecting unborn children and their mothers in the law but of course there's always been you know twin pillars of the pro-life movement protecting uh children and mothers in with the force of the law but but the equally important if not more important pillar of supporting pregnant mothers and their children in need so so tell us how i know this program was initially launched quite a while ago just before the pandemic hit so uh i know There's been a, a bit of a relaunch, and of course, I'm sure things have been accelerated since the Dobbs decision came down. So so tell us, how is it going, uh, especially post-Dobbs?
1: Well, as you said, the we had always planned to launch Walking with Moms in Need of March of 2020 for the 25th anniversary of Evangelium Vitae. Little did we know that that very month, the pandemic would completely change the entire world and actually exacerbate the situation for many vulnerable women who were in a challenging pregnancy or in a challenging home situation. So we we did not anticipate it, but it actually ended up being God's providential timing to ask parishes to turn their attention to pregnant and parenting moms in need. The anticipation of the Dobbs case happening definitely accelerated, I think, the interest in many places to having preparations for what this outcome could be right having pastoral a pastoral response available if there would be an increase in women seeking, either seeking one abortion or seeking an alternative to abortion if there were somehow a, an abortion restriction. So Dobbs definitely intensified what uh, what the initial launch already you know kind of laid the groundwork for. And now we see that there has been a great interest, especially after the ACMA the Dobbs decision, which really did bring so much of the responsibility of making decisions on the legal status of abortion back to the states and back to local communities, we um, found that walking with moms has been really providential to be there in those local communities, to be able to catch women who might um, be affected by this decision and be in greater need of support and pastoral care.
0: There is a charge I hear levied all the time, and you hear it too, everyone hears it, that pro-life people like us, we only care about the baby before the baby's born, and after that, we, we wash our hands. I happen to know it's not true. Um, I happen to know that people who care about unborn babies have that same level of care for babies that have already been born and and really for human beings that are vulnerable at any stage of their lives. But it is a charge that's lobbed against us, and I'm wondering... Are you trying to make um, make connections between the, the good-hearted, generous people in sitting in the pews and all these parishes and actual people in need in ways that are practical? Because I find that yeah. it's that practical, how do you find the need and then find the people who mm-hmm. want to relieve the need and then put those two groups together?
1: That's a great question, uh, Gracie. And absolutely, that is a, a significant goal of Walking with Moms in Need. I think the greatest, the greatest slander <laughs> in, in modern times or against you know pro life people who have been the ones to actually offer genuine alternatives to women who are facing a challenging pregnancy. If you walk into a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic and you say, Hey, I don't have anywhere to live, I have an abusive boyfriend, I am pregnant and I, you know, don't have a great job situation right now, what do I do? They're unlikely to say, Hey, you know, here we we have this, this maternity home that you can go visit or, hey, you know, we can help you get a better job situation and we will try to help you find a safe place to live or give you some rent to tide you over. However, there are absolutely Catholic organizations in place that do that. There are pregnancy care centers that make those connections already. And so walking with moms, and he really does try to do, Gracie, as you s- said so well, is to identify those local resources that are already in existence, both direct pro-life pregnancy resources and also the broad, so- uh, the broad swath of resources available through the Catholic Church. Walking with Mom's Need is fundamentally a process where parishes come together and parishioners, people in the pews come together to identify local resources including existing pregnancy care center ministries and pro-life ministries but also resources like Catholic hospitals Catholic charities, St. Vincent de Paul this wide array of services that the Catholic Church offers people truly from the womb to the tomb and connecting all of those resources, building strong relationships between their parishes and these helping agencies and nonprofits, and ultimately it involves discerning really more effective ways to communicate the help that's already out there and already available to women locally and also involving parishioners in a, a response where they're, they're, they know what, what is out there and that they are personally able. If a woman comes to them and says, hey, I'm pregnant or my sister is pregnant and she doesn't know what to do, they know what the resources out there are and, and where to connect uh, women to those resources.
3: Chelsea, since you're the hands-on person in implementing this fantastic and visionary program, can you tell us how, how is it actually playing out on the ground? Maybe you could share a success story with us in a particular diocese to sort of illustrate how this actually works on the ground.
2: Absolutely. Um, it's been just really incredible to see how um, it's been spreading very much often at the grassroots level on ways of parishioners and Catholics are really energized by the mission and who who want to serve Um, and so we're seeing participation all across the country you know we know that it's been perhaps a little slower than our initial launch would have um, anticipated but we do trust in God's providence and the movements of the Holy Spirit and how he's he's using this um, in his perfect ways so for example there's a parish in the Diocese of Orange in California who had a pregnancy center just about a mile away from the from the local parish and so they they um, really ran with Walking with Moms in Need, really kind of from the earliest um, phases of, of this program and started really developing a strong relationship with that pregnancy center, organizing volunteers, so much so that they were so involved that the pregnancy center changed their intake form to ask women coming in in need of assistance if they would like to be matched with a mentor from the local parish. So not only are they getting that practical support from the pregnancy center, they're also being paired with spiritual support and companionship and friendship from, from volunteers at their local parish. And, and through some of these, these connections, you know, they were able to find that there was one woman who had, I think it was eight children and was pregnant in need of assistance. And they found out that her she was actually Catholic And her other children had not been baptized because there was some type of fee associated um, with that baptismal process, and they couldn't afford it. And so they were able to take care of that, and she was able to have all of her children baptized and brought into the church. Um, So it's really, you know, even beyond just basic pregnancy support, it's that holistic Evangelization and and really bringing souls to Christ. Also, another great story is out of Miami, where there was a parish that recognized that a lot of the women in need of the pregnancy support services for their from their local center weren't able to make it. Um, there is a large population of agricultural workers who didn't have the transportation and the hours didn't exactly align with their schedules. So they worked with the pregnancy center who actually shut down their operations one day and brought their mobile unit out to the parish um, nearby where where these women could actually access the services. And they provided all of them, brought brought the pregnancy center to them. Um, And then as part of follow-up, they did organize fundraisers and donations to buy Uber gift cards So that um, these women would be able to access ongoing pregnancy care um, and be able to access transportation to the vital appointments that they had.
0: What beautiful stories, Chelsea! I'm in Miami, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And we have we have a huge migrant population in the Homestead area, and it's true; it's very difficult to make it to Miami, and it's even costly if you're riding the bus, and you're going to lose a whole day of work. So, what a pretty what a pretty uh, idea from the Pregnancy Care Center. Are you connecting these wonderful ideas that happen in one parish in one diocese? Are you is is part of the program making like these best? Practices and and broadening them and and showing them to other people and giving them good ideas in another part of the country.
1: Absolutely, we do have regular webinars and other types of, of virtual events where we do share these success stories. We also try to share them on our social media pages. I think that the best way for parishes certainly is to is to see the stories and get and get these ideas, but really to go through to first go through anyone who's interested in potentially sorry, walking with need, moms in need to go through our action guide because it is so thorough in sharing different ways to use walking with moms need to process to fit any parish and any parish situation, whether they already have a strong pregnancy care ministry or not. And, um, and then certainly the, these wonderful stories I think also help in illustrating how to put that action guide to use.
2: Right. And just so to add to what Kat said, um, you know, the, in the action guide, we give, you know, countless examples of how parishes could step in and ideas for how they could um, re- respond to the needs of their community, look at their unique gifts. Um, however, some of these things, that's why, you know, this is parish based. It's because only parishes that are in touch with these women in their communities are going to know their specific needs. So, yeah.
4: um,
2: for example, you know, the story out of Miami, like only that parish could come up with something like that. Um, so it is, you know, really allowing the Holy Spirit to guide this process, um, to use what we've provided as a template and to, of course, find inspiration from, you know, the work being done around the country, but to also know that, um, you know, parishes are the experts on their communities and the women in them that need to be served.
3: So you're absolutely right. I've that this, um, the templates are really well thought through. I've read through all of the material and I was so impressed at how organized it is and how it's really very simple in a sense. It's really turnkey um, the way you've designed this program. But what the program really needs, it sounds like, is more volunteers and yeah. our listeners our listeners are really good hearted people who are always looking for ways to be helpful. So, so if somebody wants to volunteer for walking with moms in need, it sounds like it could be as simple as putting a sign, you know, one of those signs outside of the church that we've all seen, you know, pregnant and then need, you know, need help, call this phone number um, and going to your um your your priest to just ask to get this started. So, so I mean, perhaps you exactly. could tell us what, what is sort of what's the first step for a listener who wants to volunteer for this program? Is it talking to their parish priest? Uh,
1: that is absolutely the first step. But I would say that even before that first actual step of talking to the pastor, which is primary. Um, but but even just before that, just going to walkingwithmoms.com, our website, and taking a look at our action guide summary. There is a like five to eight page summary of our much more in-depth action guide that explains what Walking With Moms is. And then after familiarizing yourself with the Walking With Moms process, going to your pastor, exactly as you said, Maureen, and and saying and making it clear that you want to get to started at your parish and you are ready to to get this started yourself, that you are ready to volunteer. Because as we know, so many pastors are so burdened. Even post-COVID, so many of the parishes are not back to normal <laughs> yet, even though it's uh, gosh, years afterwards, um, there's parish life hasn't completely returned to what it was. And even even before the pandemic, pastors were overburdened. So taking that responsibility as lady to to take a look at the materials, just you know, get it get accustomed to the idea, and then absolutely making that personal connection with your pastor and saying, I want to do this, I'm going to get a group together, we want to do this at our parish, and offering to take that burden, you know, on yourself. And I I call it a burden, really, it's a gift. So much of walking with moms is is really, as you said, very simple, it's all laid out. Everything that you need to do, the resources are all free, and it's laid out very clearly how to get this started at your parish. The, The essential need, exactly as you said, are volunteers, and their first step is to go to their pastor and say, I want to get this started at our parish so we can walk with moms in need.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, alongside my co-hostess, Maureen Ferguson, and we are learning more about the great efforts of Walking with Moms in Need, a USCCB initiative with Kat Talalas and Chelsea Gomez of the Office of the Pro-Life Secretariat. Chelsea, what if any uh, chilling effect or, or fear have you have you experienced out there or heard about in the in the different dioceses with all the different attacks on pregnancy care centers and, and churches that we've been experiencing since Dobbs? One, for instance, in my own archdiocese, one of our pregnancy care centers was was um, vandalized with really aggressive, violent rhetoric one one day over Memorial Day weekend, and our, our volunteers were quite scared. Have you been hearing? Things like this from other parts of the country.
2: Thankfully, we haven't. Um, specifically, we do know these these terrible, you know, acts of violence are are on the rise, and I do think there is um, certainly a need to to be conscious of that and to take appropriate steps um, to keep everyone safe and um, to be prudent. But I think um, what's actually been really um, encouraging is that even though we're seeing that rise of those stories in the news um, across the country, you know, it really has not um, waylaid any of our, our volunteers, those who are passionate about this. Um, if anything, I think it just shows how much, how needed um, our services yeah. are um, when they're under attack. Um, you know, we know the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. And yeah. um, when they see these persecutions, I think it's, it really is a reminder of, of what's at stake and it's, and like I said, it has not discouraged um, our local volunteers in their mission. And so just to see their courage um, in the face of of, of attacks or persecutions, um, you know, they really care about the women in need and, and they don't want to let um, these fears keep them from serving them.
3: So so this work of expanding the pro-life safety net um it can be pretty simple, it sounds like, in terms of getting parishioners to uh, connect with a local pregnancy center and volunteer there or, or support them financially. But I've also seen a couple of reports of um, more ambitious projects, which are very inspiring. Yeah. And I just read something recently about um, in Los Angeles, the diocese turned one of their empty convents into a maternity home. And I thought, what a Beautiful response here um, as we're, you know, facing the challenges of living in a post ro world. So have you heard of that sort of thing going on? Because, uh, it, you know, pregnancy centers are... You know, beyond marvelous and heroic in the work they do, but the maternity homes uh, really get to the the longer term need. And, you know, we've heard so many success stories from women coming out of these maternity homes. Um, I'm wondering if you um, have had much uh, experience with maternity homes.
1: Well, we absolutely have a very close relationship. Uh, praise God with the Sisters of Life, who've been incredibly supportive of Walking with Moms in Need, and who are actually, um, you know, doing versions of Walking with Moms in in Arizona and in New York. And so, they the Sisters of Life for those listeners who are maybe, might not be as familiar have this beautiful ministry of of accompaniment to pregnant and parenting moms and mean, they, they, they truly, they never let anyone fall through the cracks and, um, and they have been such a model to us of what is possible, you know, through the power of God and the Holy spirit. So we, we absolutely with walking with moms have a very close relationship with the sisters of life and, and love their model of walking and wel- welcoming women into their home. Um, as far as other, parishes or other dioceses taking up the maternity home model. I think a lot of them are right now trying to make connections to maternity homes that are already, that already exist and spotlighting what is, what is already there in terms of resources. Um, as And also too, I think an important thing uh, to remember with, what is already, it's sometimes hard to gauge what is already happening with walking with moms or what's underway, partly because many parishes just began the process of walking with moms in need. And that process first involves uh, an inventory, taking inventory of what already exists and then analyzing and then committing to a response. So many of the places who started walking with moms in need are not yet in the place of... Starting their big project, like a maternity home or a pregnancy center or another large project, yet, but we might be seeing that in the coming months and certainly in the coming years.
0: In my church, and I think it must be very common across the United States, we have a very nice pro-life ministry. It's, I think, all women, uh, lots of, lots of older ladies, and and they're very they're very committed to praying and. Mm-hmm. And, and the little projects that, that we do, like baby bottle campaigns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is this the appropriate group to to approach and say, "Hey, there's this wonderful new initiative because you'd be surprised or maybe you're not surprised because you're at the USCCB and you know how these things go that sometimes <laughs> all this like the information doesn't filter down into the that granular level where somebody's going to take charge yeah. and say, um let's let's you know let's use our pro-life ministry in this way or attach ourselves to yeah. this great program from the USCCB."
1: Great. Well, that's a great question there. I think there are two important points to address. One is that first and foremost, no matter what a parish is already doing, whether they're already doing something as comprehensive as, say, the Gabriel Project or Prepares, or whether they have absolutely nothing for pregnancy care ministry, Walking with Moms in Need can help them, because it is about connecting people in the parish to resources that are already existing and creating those resources where they don't exist. So yes, if there is already a great group of women who are you know volunteering and praying and knitting baby blankets, like they can absolutely participate in Walking with Moms, and Walking with Moms Need is not meant to displace them or, you know, step on what it is they're already doing, but to enhance it and to expand it. Um, but the second thing is, who is maybe the best person to start walking with moms? And I think there are many answers to that based on the needs of the parish. What's wonderful about walking with moms in need is it's it's all about service. I mean, nothing in walking with moms in need mentions abortion actually, because it's fundamentally about offering genuine alternatives, genuine support to women in a challenging pregnancy. And so truly anyone can get behind this, even if they've never been involved with pro-life ministry before, even if they're uncomfortable with pro-life advocacy in the legal way, walking with mom's in need is something that I think everyone who has a, a spirit of charity can get behind because you're, it's about, Helping the most vulnerable women in our country. We know that a lot of women, you know, who are particularly women who are vulnerable to abortion, 85% of them are unmarried. Three quarters are below the poverty line. These are the most, they're, they're alone in so many ways. And this is about offering resources. It is about saying, what is out there? What does this woman need? Does she need a friend? Does she need a ride to the Catholic clinic for a checkup? Does she need assistance with rent? You know, if I were in her shoes, what would I need? And how can I get that to her? How can our parish help her? And and if you already have a program in place that does something like that, Walking With Moms Need will help you promote it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Um, so I, I think absolutely the leaders can be people who've already who who are already involved with certain aspects of pro life ministry, but it's just as possible that we can get new parishioners in there looking at this question in a different way, or coming from a different perspective, who can who are equally capable of. Um, taking walking with mom's need and running with
0: it you know that makes a lot of sense to me because i do know people who see the pro-life ministry as sort of a sort of a political you know praying in front of yeah. centers and they they don't right. feel that they want to be out there um yeah you know being in your face about about their beliefs right. but i know that they want to help and they want to yeah. to be that supportive person who who because they are, people are full of generosity and, and full of love yeah. in their hearts for their struggling brothers and sisters. So I, I do see, I see that, that, that there is a wonderful well of people there that we can find and draw on.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And as you said, I mean, I, we have so much love and gratitude for those sidewalk warriors who are praying those rosaries and who are doing so much good, you know, for um, women who are approaching a pregnancy care Center. But Walking with Moms need is, is different from that. It, it's not, it doesn't displace it and it, it doesn't replace it. Um, it's, it's a different way of looking at pregnancy care ministry and it, it, and yes, people who are not comfortable personally doing that have a, have a place and walking with moms in need for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much, Chelsea and Kat, for joining us and talking to us and informing us, giving us this great update on Walking with Moms in Need, a wonderful initiative from the USCCB Secretariat of Pro-Life Activities. Thank you for your time. And tell us again the website where our listeners can go and find out more and then start this wonderful project at their parish.
1: Thank you so much. And it is www.walkingwithmoms.com.
0: Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm here with my friend and colleague at the Catholic Association, Ashley McGuire. And we have as our guest joining us our good friend of the show, Melissa Overmeyer. She's coming back with us to discuss her new book, which is called From Worry to Wonder A Catholic Guide to Finding Peace Through Scripture. Welcome back to the show, Melissa. Thank you so much. I'm just thrilled to be on. Well, Melissa, we wanted to hear you uh, tell us about your new book, and I can't think of anything right now more timely than uh, finding peace through scripture. I'm specifically thinking of the the horrible thing that's happened this week in Texas the the school shooting and and just in general the way that our world is so challenging it's so challenging to to our ability to live it with lots of hope and and optimism i mean for very real reasons and then of course our our brain also plays tricks on us so from worry to wonder how do we go from worry to wonder
5: well you know it is by god's grace first of all and it is troubling what's happening right now in the world. And I have had to really think, well, over the course of time, there has always been troubles. And so, the Bible addresses the same kind of trouble that we've always, you know, experience. Trouble is nothing new. And so, what's amazing is what we can find in scripture is real concrete hope. It's not circumstance-based hope. It's not circumstance-based peace, but it's something that's a sure foundation for us to put our faith in. And so, I always begin. Where, I, where the starting place is, I believe is on our knees in prayer. And then we open up the scriptures and the teachings of the church. And there is where we can find really something to hold on to that can get us through the most difficult times. And that's what I address in this book. And I, the title is really about turning your gaze from your troubles to the answer. And that's what this book is, is about.
4: Melissa, I, um, your book is so important. Um, you know, even just this morning I was driving my husband to the train station and I said, I'm so worried about everything. And it's like little things all the way to big things and We get bombarded by things in social media and one thing i have thought about you know especially as gracie said in light of this you know just another terrible tragedy in the school there's been a lot of attention on mental health struggles but also the sort of crisis that's happening with our youth you know i see this uh just the other day i had a babysitter tell me she you know didn't feel like she could come because she was struggling with sort of mental health things and so is your book is Is your book appropriate for some of these young people too? Absolutely. You know, the great thing about, I think, about
5: scripture is it really, it can apply to anyone from the the youngest to the oldest. And so, what in this book that we do is I've taken, I'm a natural born warrior. My dad was a superior warrior and <laughs> I don't know if I inherited it or if I, if DNA or if I learned it. But what I had to do is is really look at a very young age. I was brought up in a, Scripture based household. And I wanted to see what the Lord had to say about worry. And so from a very young age, I had to learn to do something that didn't literally come naturally for me. And that was to not place my faith in in the circumstances, but to to dwell, to take my thoughts captive. because in second Corinthians, it's about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And that is something that was sort of revolutionary when I learned that you don't have to be subject to just your emotions and every thought that pops into your head but that we are to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And then Paul goes on to write and he says that we have healthy mental boundaries where we're to to dwell on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, anything that's praiseworthy. And so, I believe you can teach your kids that. I taught my kids that before they could even actually pronounce the words (laughs) correctly. And so, even if it's true, it may not be, you know, pure or lovely or admirable. And so, it's basically... Learning to turn your thoughts to what's true and and beautiful and good, and not denying what's out there, but placing those that truth, whatever it is that's bothering you, the worries. Into bigger, more capable hands than your own, and that's when the scriptures say, "Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you." So this book is really a um, seven scriptures that we can take as a, I call them my word wonder checklist, and it's concrete answers to our troubles and a, a path forward in how to learning how to deal with them. Really, no matter your age, because it works. Truth is truth, right? From the youngest to the oldest person, and and this book carries you through that.
0: I like what you say, Melissa. The way you 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 phrase it as something that we can be proactive about, that we can take control over. Our thoughts, because I think nowadays, uh, especially young people, are taught to be very in tune with their emotions as something that, like waves, they have to ride. Things that they're not really supposed to control, but su- they're supposed to, you know, respect very much how they're feeling about things. And at the same time, we know as adults who've who've lived more and have more wisdom. I hope that that there is a lot that we can do to to decide what are we going to think about. You know, are we going to dwell, as you say, on the good and the beautiful and the the elevated and the sublime, or do we? We, do we allow our, our thoughts to keep going back to the things that, that, that are gnawing at us? I like that. I feel like it's, it's very empowering to, to people, especially young people.
5: Yes. And I have to say, part of this book, so I give you the seven scriptures that are very helpful. They're the key truths, I believe, in the Bible about how to deal with worry. Very concrete, very practical. And then, in the book, I'd give you then a 40-day journal that is basically an accountability partner to help to retrain your mind because as you know, God made us in the most beautiful way with something called neuroplasticity, which allows our brain to make new pathways. You know, we can rewire the way we think. So the the what the journal does is take, Good information, practical information, concrete steps, but then it turns it into life transformation because we have to cooperate with the grace that God has given us. And so I give you places to write down your worries and then instead of your worries, what are you going to dwell on today? And so that you you have a fallback so that St. Anthony of the Desert, who I just love, Way back, like 200 AD said, we have to practice until practice becomes habit and habit becomes nature. And so this 40-day journal is every day gives you a new chance to turn good information, you know, into a habit. And then the habit can become a new nature. And... It's so important because otherwise we are just batted around by by the world and by whatever thought and instead of our reason and our will deciding, we let our emotions decide and our emotions are to inform our reason and our will, but they're not to be the driving force in our life. And, you know, this book really helps to get that disorder into correct order, which is basing your your decisions and your will on your reason. And there's nothing more reasonable than scripture.
4: Melissa, I have been doing the Bible in a year podcast this year and I bring that up because I think Catholics are often portrayed as sort of weak on scripture. And, you know, you're a convert, I'm a convert. I grew up in a Christian home where memorizing the Bible, you know, we had Bibles everywhere. And, you know, I think there is something to be said sometimes that, you know, we Catholics don't know our Bible, but at the same time, I see the success of Father Schmidt's podcast, Jeff Cadence, who has partnered with Father Schmidt, also wrote the forward to your book, and you have kind of a similar approach, just like a practical way to bring scripture into your life and to use it in a positive way. Do you... Do you feel like maybe there's a kind of a a Catholic scripture revival going on? You know what? I do.
5: And it's something that's so amazing. When I converted, it was during Pope Benedict, you know, and this new evangelization had begun. And it was so thrilling to me because I thought, oh, my goodness, this is so exciting to bring to people something that is part of our heritage I mean, the saints knew the scriptures. It's something that's part of the beautiful heritage. I mean, Catholics wrote the Bible, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. through the inspiration of of, of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, it's like it's something that's so a part of our, of who we are, you know, of our liturgy is, of course, scripture. And so it is interesting as I travel and I speak and I and I teach, I've taught the scriptures for over 30 years, 35 years now, and to see how when people that have not been familiar with the scriptures suddenly start opening them up, it's like, the world becomes, goes technicolor. Like, their faith becomes alive in a way that it hadn't been before. And I'm not saying that you can't have a beautiful relationship with Christ through sacraments, because that's what drew me into the church. But if you have sacraments and the scriptures, it is like, it is like turbocharged faith, because suddenly these teachings, it, it becomes a friendship and a relationship that goes so much deeper when you're reading these love letters. And so, the scripture you know of course informed through the lens of the church and the church teachings are just absolutely they're divine truly divine and and the deeper we can go you can never come to the end of it but the deeper we go it just elevates our relationship and our understanding of God so I can't I can't really emphasize enough the importance of of learning and opening the scriptures and I absolutely adore Jeff Cavins and Father Mike Schmidt and what they're doing and how they have really brought the faith alive to so many Catholics and
0: if you're just joining us, I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, alongside my TCA colleague Ashley McGuire, and we are chatting with the Catholic author and speaker, Melissa Overmeyer, about her book, From Worry to Wonder, A Catholic Guide to Finding Peace Through Scripture. I wonder, Melissa, do you feel that there are two kinds? I When I think about people who worry and anxiety and and of course, I worry too. It's not just other people. But I think that there's some there's two kinds of worry, in a sense. There's the worry that uh, the worried well do that the kind of people who have this sense uh, something impend, something bad's gonna happen very soon. I've got to worry about it, and, and they have like an, an anxious frame of mind. And then there are people who are ham- who are dealing with you know terrible circumstances that do cause them to worry in ways that are very strong and and things you know unavoidable worries, right? But I feel like those are two separate things. Do you think your book book addresses both of these kinds of situations? Yes, I do. And I'll tell you why, because I'm that person. (laughs) Um, So,
5: I'm the natural born warrior who seems to always, I've had to, through these scriptures, and of course, I'm so excited about the book, not because of my words, but because of the scriptures that are in them, and they're proven winners, right? And so, I can talk how great it is all day long, because it's God, it's God's word that brings us to a different place, not me, it's God and his grace and his word and the power of it. But then we've also had a lot of tragedy in our family. I wrote this book after my daughter had her neck broken in a surfing accident. And then my sister passed away. He was staying with us. And then then our house was set ablaze and we've lost everything. So I've not only had just this underlying worry, we've had some real life circumstances Mm -hmm. that have been very troubling. But it's the same answer. And the answer is always Jesus. The answer is always God. The answer is the sacraments. The answer is connection to something so much greater than yourself. Because while these things are not God's perfect will. All of these things have been God's permissive will. And if it's his permissive will, then you have to know his hand is in it and you have to have faith that, well, if God has allowed this to happen, then he's going to give me the grace and what I need to get through it. And so instead of allowing the enemy to come in and steal, kill, and destroy, which is what he does, anytime he can mess with you, he will, your your peace or, you know, whatever it is, the enemy is 100% against you, but God is 100% for you. And if you can get your mind around the fact that God is 100% for you and whatever this is, God is going to cause to work together for good, not just for me, but for my family and for other people, Romans 8, 28, and stand on that and stand on the promises that when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, Lord, because you are worthy of my trust. It's about putting your faith in not the circumstances and not what's going on, but in something so much greater and having hope. And my definition of hope is holding on patiently enduring, H-O-P-E, holding on patiently enduring. (laughs) And that means holding on patiently and doing anything that's not comfortable, that's not necessarily where you feel good, but knowing that God has purpose in it and that He is, I call it, it's time for an upgrade. When you start experiencing this thing, these things, it's because God means it for your good. Satan means it for your demise, but God always means it for your good. And if you can keep that in the forefront of your mind, then it puts you in a whole new place. And that's where the wonder comes in. Instead of asking the question, why me? You ask better questions such as, God, how are you and I going to get through this together? how are you going to cause this to work together for my good how lord are you going to make me flourish even in this season of what seems like loss because god means it for your good and that is what we have to keep in the absolute forefront of our mind every single day and renew our mind to that truth and that's what this book helps you to do
4: Melissa, i I wish we could talk about this forever because i so need it in my life but I thought maybe we could close with the rosary. It's the month of May, and I love how on your website you have a... Uh, how to on praying the rosary, and I think again as a convert, I so appreciate that because I remember, you know, being a convert and thinking I have no idea how to do this. Can you maybe give us your thoughts on, you know, what we warriors can find in our Blessed Mother when it comes to peace? Well,
5: it's so funny the Blessed Mother found me. I have such a great relationship with her because as a convert, that was my stumbling block. But but then she really has taken down all these barriers, and believe it or not, the Our Lady of Guadalupe is my is my go-to constantly, and she just, in the sweetest ways, always seems to give me a little wink and, a, and appear just right when I need her in some form, you know, on a coffee mug or someone's t-shirt, or she's just always there for me. And so I have a rosary, being the natural-born warrior, I have a rosary in almost every pocket, every coat. I have one next to my bed. I sleep with one under my pillow, and I squeeze it anytime I feel like an anxious thought coming, and then I just picture all the prayers that have been said on anybody's rosary just rising right up to our Blessed Mother and her encompassing me in her blessed in her mantle, And I just feel this peace. So the rosary has been such a wonderful blessing for me in my life. And so I, I hope that that's a gift that I can give to the world. If you are not a, a big fan, become one. Ask that the Lord would change your heart. And because there's no greater comfort, I don't think, than being with your mom, right? And in the, in the Blessed Mother is just always there for me. Sorry, it makes me cry. But um, yes, I just love the rosary and I would so, so love to pray it with you. And I pray the rosary every day and anybody that buys my book, I want them to know that I pray when I pray my rosary, I always pray a decade for all of those who have bought my book and are struggling with whatever they're struggling with. So uh, you're in my prayers.
0: Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to end on, Melissa. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you um, for writing a book for all us warriors out there who have so much to worry about, let's face it, and so uh, so much beauty and truth from God and Our Lady and Jesus that we can rely on to help us through those times. So thank you, Melissa. Melissa's book is From Worry to Wonder. And also, tell us, the, the please, uh, your website. How can people reach your website? Yes, well, they can order the book on ascensionpress.com or
5: they can order it on Amazon. And my website is melissaovermeyer.com.
0: Thank you, Melissa.
5: Thank you so, so much. God bless you and have a wonderful worry-free day.
0: I wanted to talk to you about something that happened that really shocked me and shocked a lot of people. And that is Stacey Abrams, a Democrat from uh, Georgia, talking... Um, about fetal heartbeats being manufactured. And actually, why don't we listen to it? Uh, and you can listen to the words from her own mouth.
1: There is no such thing as a heartbeat in six
2: weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people
1: that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from them.
0: What's unbelievable is that the secular media, the left-wing media, pretty much picked up on this and just ran with it. They liked it. It's, it's, rather, it's rather crazy because none of it makes sense. And to me, as a radiologist who does ultrasound every single day, and many of these ultrasounds are of pregnant women and their little babies, the fetal heartbeat is something that is just absolutely part of medicine. It's part of real life. Anyone who's been pregnant or has been with their pregnant wife, Or, sister or friend at the OBGYNs or at the radiologist, when they put the transducer down on that uh, little belly or big belly, as it were, uh, as the case might be, what the doctor or the technician is looking for is the fetal heartbeat. We can detect the fetal heartbeat as early as five weeks after LMP, which is only three weeks after conception. So, we're talking about a very, very tiny human being that already has their own distinct heartbeat. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel.
6: This is Father Roger Landry. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We give thanks today to have the chance to get ready together for the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us this Sunday. This Sunday, as you know, is Catholic New Year's Day, when we begin a new liturgical year, meant to provide us a new spiritual start. The liturgical year, in which we retrace all the events of salvation history, from the long wait for a Messiah to the crowning of that crucified and risen, long-awaited one as the King of the Universe, is not meant to be a liturgical cycle, but a liturgical spiral not a same old, same old, but something that helps us to enter into the mysteries we celebrate far more profoundly than the last time, like rereading a great book or watching a newer classical movie. Each pass along the liturgical spiral that begins this Sunday is supposed to reveal to us elements we haven't seen before and remind us of important things that we once knew but may have forgotten about the mystery of God, his love for us, and his hopes and plans for us. The beginning of the new year is a time to make resolutions to grow in our spiritual life. Because every year that passes means we're 365 days closer to the coming of the Lord for us at the end of our life or the end of time. And we never know if the year that we're commencing might be our last year. So we approach this fresh spiritual start with gratitude, but also a sense of urgency to make sure this new year is truly a year of the Lord. That urgency is front and center in Jesus' conversation with us this Sunday in the Gospel. He tells us directly, You must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. Advent is principally about preparing for Christ's second coming through retracing the way God prepared the Jews for his first coming. Jesus wants us to be ready, awake, alert, hopeful, excited, and looking ahead. He doesn't want the end of time to be like an ambush, but a long desired reunion. Not a pop quiz, but a scheduled exam that we've studied for and are ready to ace. But he makes clear that some will be ready and some won't be ready. He says that at the time of the flood, Noah had built the ark and was ready. But most were not ready and the flood carried them away. He says that something similar will happen with his advent. He says two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be working in the kitchen. One will be taken, the other left. St. Luke's account, Jesus adds, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus describes that the two people doing the same thing at the same time will have two totally different outcomes. This doesn't mean that the decision is somehow going to be arbitrary. as if God's just going to flip a coin to determine who gets taken by him to eternal happiness and who gets left alienated from him forever. The ones who will be taken will be those who are ready, who are awake, who are excited for the things of God, who are seeking Him, striving to grow spiritually, who are journeying, making the effort to come to meet Him, and who even when they're working in the fields, or grinding meal in the kitchen, or resting in bed, are seeking to unite their whole life to God. He says that if the owner of a house knew the hour when a burglar was planning to arrive, he would not be asleep but ready. So much more, he says, we need to be prepared for His coming because he doesn't want to come like a thief in the night, but as a much-loved friend. One sign of the type of readiness for the coming of the Lord that has characterized Christian devotion over the centuries is an Advent wreath, which we will bless in our churches on Saturday afternoon, and many families will use in their homes. The important part, most important part of the Advent wreath, we know, is not the color of the candles, which symbolize the hopeful spirit of the weeks, or the evergreens, which symbolize God's eternal love, The most important part is the flame, which symbolizes our prayerful vigilance for Christ's coming. Just like the five wise bridesmaids in Jesus' parable, whose lamps were always burning in anticipation for the coming of the bridegroom. So the flame of these candles symbolize and remind us of the flame of desire we're called to have for Jesus' return. The Advent wreath is a sign of this expectant vigilance for week by week, not just throughout Advent, but throughout our year in life, our flame of love for God is meant to grow. This Advent, the U.S. bishops have done us all a favor by placing before us a collective ecclesiastical New Year's resolution to grow in Eucharistic knowledge, faith, amazement, love, life, charity, and apostolate. The three-year Eucharistic revival the bishops have inaugurated is an opportunity to look at each of the liturgical seasons with fresh eyes and Eucharistic lenses, beginning with Advent. The basic Advent virtue, as I just mentioned, is loving vigilance. And this longing is meant to characterize our approach to Jesus really substantially and truly present on the altar. Many Catholics over time have allowed the fire they had at at their first communion toward Jesus in Holy Communion to attenuate or be extinguished. This Advent is a time to look at that love and make it practical, turning Advent hymns, familial prayers around a domestic Advent wreath, and even growing darkness and decreasing temperatures into a summons to pray spiritual communions and become a living flame. The longing of the Advent season is not just on the part of believers toward God, however. It's principally about God's longing for us. Well before the people of God's prayers and hopes were recorded in the Old Testament, even before the foundation of the world, God has been longing for us. That love led to the incarnation, to the passion, and ultimately to the altar which is a foretaste of God's desire for an eternal communion with us. Jesus desires communion with us more than all the saints combined have desired to receive him. Daily mass and adoration of the blessed sacrament are expressions of this mutual desire. And it would be great if this advent and in fact, this entire new liturgical year would be characterized by greater Eucharistic practice. This Advent, Jesus wants to engage us in a decisive dialogue of life so that we are in constant communication with him so that when he comes, we're ready. Like someone to whom we're talking on the phone who says he's in the neighborhood driving toward our house and is about to knock. Whether we're in the kitchen, out in our yard, or in bed, he wants us to head to meet him at the door. At an hour, we do not expect he will come, but we can nevertheless be ready for him no matter the hour, dressed in our baptismal garment with the flame of faith, hope, and love burning for him in our heart, if we're wise enough to be living a Eucharistic life, adoring Jesus, and worthily receiving him inside, even each day, then we will never be caught off guard, since the one whom we will be welcoming each day will be the one we long for and are accustomed to receive with love. Happy New Year.